Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast. This podcast is about celebrating the leaders, teachers, and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect, heal, and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world. I am Simone Niles, a coach, sound healer, vocalist, and author. Thank you for being here with me today. In this Soulful Sound conversation, I'm joined by a group of amazing individuals who happen to be some of my nearest and dearest. I am fortunate to be joined by Rafan Kebe, a somatic movement teacher and trainer who offers grounded and practical teachings focused on helping conscious, intuitive and artistic teachers to share their unique approaches to the practice of yoga, movement and somatic inquiry. He also happens to be my wonderful husband. Also joined by Calvin Niles, a passionate communicator and mindful living coach, making a positive impact on the lives of leaders, entrepreneurs, coaches, and wider society through his services and products. This guy is my awesome brother. And last but not least, joined by Dr. Saida Desile, a counterculture creatrix, body philosopher, and advocate for sexual sovereignty. Saida has also written The Emergence of the Sensual Woman, followed by her newest book, Desire. This beauty is one of my dearest friends. So, this is pretty much a family affair, and we have conversations like these all the time. In this episode, we speak about how to find opportunity within challenge. How do you navigate through those which you encounter? What's your perspective on the role of challenges in your life? Are they there to break you or make you? We share thoughts on action and surrender, first steps when facing the challenge, a victim mindset, and the power of choice, just to name a few points explored in this conversation. Tune in for the full scoop. Wow, I'm so excited. I've got the four of these awesome people in the house. And it's really cool because, you know, you all know me well. You're my nearest and dearest BFF, hubby, brother. And I really wanted to come together because people ask me often um, about the kind of conversations I have outside of the podcast arena, outside of those kind of formal interviews. And I said exactly the same type. So I thought this is a great opportunity to speak with those who know me well. And, you know, these are the kind of conversations that we have all the time. So just to invite the community and audience in to listen and join in in whatever way they can. So the topic really is all about finding opportunity within challenge. And this is a very broad and general sense. But of course, we can address some of the questions that have come through, which is about the challenging times that we are facing in a global way as well. So what I would love to do is just to know, um, I know you all have your own expertise or different ways of approaching things. What would be, if I can start with you, Saida, what would be your general um, idea about finding opportunity within challenge? Well, I'm a bit odd because I think that when there are no challenges, there's a bit of a flat line in life. And challenge is what we are as a species really used to responding to, even if it's just a challenge, find some water, get some food, like these kind of basic challenges. So I think our nervous systems are designed to respond actually in a very healthy, positive way when there's challenge. The problem though, is that we, it's our attitude around the challenge, not the challenge itself. If we can actually just go, yes, I I can do one thing today toward this thing we actualize action, then we actually bring in all this amazing embodiment to handle challenge. We're actually quite wired to deal with challenge. So I like challenge because I find it enlivening. It's, um, it makes me source deeply within. Perhaps I have to learn new skill. Perhaps I've got to reveal myself a little more, uh, be more vulnerable, ask for help. I think those are all gorgeous aspects of being a human being and challenge can bring that out. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. Over to you, Calvin, your thoughts on finding opportunity within challenge just as a starting point. Yeah, I mean, I want to just extend a little bit on the point that Saida made about attitude, because that's where I spend a lot of my focus on attitude. In the past, I used to think innovation 
and innovation had a mindset that was very strongly focused on challenge or constraints being a big driver of solutions and opportunity and things. But there is a dimension that happens on an individual level when the challenge hits you and you're faced with a personal challenge, then it's completely perceived in a different way. So I think the attitude is one of the key elements here. Uh, Probably you'll hear me talking about that a lot as well. Because without the right attitude or without a constructive attitude, then the challenge feels insurmountable. Uh, So I would say that's one of the first things we we probably ought to bring in that environment. Um, And then perspective, of course, uh, helps us to look for different solutions than we perhaps would have done originally. Right. So similar to what Saida said in that, that it's not the challenge itself, but how you view it and your approach and your perspective on it. Yeah, it's it's your perspective, but a lot of times it's looking for the new perspectives because we are walking the paths that we've walked before. And so our response tends to be the same response we've always had. So new perspectives are helpful, um, but how do we get a new perspective without a new attitude? <laughs> so so we do need a combination of the two, I think. Yeah, I'm going to delve more into yeah. that. To you, Raf, what about you? What are your thoughts on finding that uh, opportunity within challenge? I, I, I do think, um, similar to say that uh, we are made and wired in such a way that uh, we actually need challenges in order to somehow show ourselves, both to ourselves, but also to the world. So um, the ability to say thank you or to be grateful, uh, which might not come straight away when a challenge or challenges offer themselves, but building the, the, the mental capacity to eventually be at a place where, as um, Calvin was just saying, one is able to um, address the attitude in, with which uh, we receive the challenge. I think it's where it's at. Um, I actually usually tell people I have a formula for this. I know we are very early in, in, in the conversation, but I'll, I'll give you my... Um, I'll start with the end, if I may. Um, We have two options most of the time. I've been thinking about that for a little while as well. And um, I've been thinking that uh, perhaps there are more than two options, but I must say to you that um, I haven't got more than two options. So I'll I'll be curious as to what Calvin and Saida are going to say. Two options. The first one is to give yourself a break, i.e., Take the time that you need in order to grieve whatever passed. And I'm saying um, from time to time, I take one, two, three days to somehow be pissed off. Can I swear? Sure. Okay. I take one, two, three days to be pissed off, um, to lament or to be sad or to be upset because I personally can use that energy one way or another. So that means practically a tub of hagen ice cream. <laughs> um, it means a few other things, but the, the, the hagen is it seems to be uh, the one thing that comes back. And that's for a period of time that's quite well-defined. I don't give myself more than three or four days to do so. So that's the first one, just giving yourself a break as to, yes, the challenge is real, as real as you want it to be. But your capacity to deal with that challenge is also as real as you want it to be. And the option number two is um, the one that a lot of my students and friends um, don't really like to hear, but that's the one that I tend to give up the most, is that um, option number two is get over yourself. Who are you not to be challenged? Who are you to live a life of um, peace? on a constant basis? Who are you to require that life be gentle with you at every moment of your life? So, and that's a bit, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow that I think a lot of us have to work with. So it's either give yourself a break, you're working very, very hard, you might as well just take it easy for a little while. And option number two is get over yourself, Um, get to work and, The caveat to this is that very often when you think option number one is the one you need, it turns out number two is actually the one. And when you start to get hard on yourself and thinking, oh, yeah, I need to get 
over myself is perhaps the time where you actually need to give yourself a break. So, yeah. <laughs> What's really important there, um, a, a very big nugget in all of that that you've shared is, is having a well-defined uh, time. So you said, you know, you might have three to, you give yourself three to four days to grieve, to eat your hagen and do whatever, and then move on. Because I think often what happens is when we move into that space, it's not easy to get out if we don't give ourselves that barrier or that boundary, the healthy boundary and timing of this is how long it is. I'm going to give myself to do this. And then, yeah, now I need to get over it, get up, make a move and such and such. So I think that's a really important piece. Um, Saida, Calvin, and you want to add anything to, to that? That would be awesome. I'm loving this, first of all. I just so love all of you. And it's just so fun to be chewing into something that is very human. Hmm. And so the piece maybe I would add, and I love, Raf, what you said, and I've done both lately. So it's, you know, it's very front of mind for me. Uh, I think it's also amazing that we can learn to... I don't know if we ever get comfortable with tension, but we can learn to have a more direct relationship with tension because often when there's a challenge that arises is because that which where we are is no longer, it's just not viable. And we know we're being, our desire, our yearning, it's, it's calling us towards something that maybe it's not even definable yet, but we know we're not going to stay here. And these two places they're different. There's a discrepancy and there's a lot of tension that can arise when this situation happens. And I think that's often what we call a challenge. And if we can start actually enjoying that there, there's a creative tension, we can actually approach this in a creative way mm. and harness that and understand, yes, there'll be emotions and psychological stuff. And if we acknowledge that, we kind of absorb that into this present moment, but then really orient ourselves to this thing that we're being called towards, I think that is very important. And a lot of us in our culture, we're kind of, we want to resolve tension immediately. We're instant gratification. We're, we're trained to be that way. So this is a tough one to actually be able to breathe and have tenacity and be able to take action, even when you're not particularly seeing a lot of results initially, yeah. uh, but keep consistent, keep choosing the thing you're going for and having that direct, honest relationship with tension, I think that's uh, very crucial. Mm, I love that. I love that. Calvin. Yeah, I think that what you just heard was really powerful. And, you know, if I want to take that point about getting over yourself as well, mm. you know, it's quite, it's quite a profound <laughs> idea to consider. Well, who am I? Who am I that I'd have to get over? That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a question of identity and how we perceive ourselves in the world. Interestingly, though, as a point, you know, growing up in the Caribbean, you know, if in hurricane season, a hurricane would come, often we'd have a, a storm or, or something nearing a hurricane or a weak hurricane. Fortunately, I've not experienced a severe hurricane. But what I do know is right dead in the center of the hurricane is the eye the eye of the storm, right? And in that eye, it's really still, it's really peaceful. It's, it, it almost makes you feel that you're safe. And this is the point. There is a, a point of centering. There is a space in the middle that we feel safe in. And then this question of identity almost falls away. The second thing is that there's a shared experience in that. So Raf said, you know, you're not alone. Who are you to think that you're special and you're the only one who's entitled to not having challenge? And this idea of shared experience comes with the connection. The shared experience, of course, if a hurricane hits, right? You know your neighbor's getting hit too. You know the person down the road is getting hit too. So there's a, there's a shared experience that comes with a connection. And then there's also a space that exists in the center where you're not caught up in the tailwinds of the storm. So I think it's, there's two things there about finding that space mm-hmm. uh, and also that shared experience as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I love this. Oh, I'm so happy that you guys are on with me. (laughs) This is great. Um, What I wanted to ask about this, because I know that um, a lot of the things that people have been asking me, or I might have been pondering myself is that balance. So we know that in that storm, there is going to be the winds, we're going to have all of this stuff, and everything's going to be moving. And then we know there's the center and there's the peace. Where in that 
Um, and I think you kind of touched on it a bit, Saida, with this, the, the gap or the space, if you like, between here and here. Where, where do we find the balance of when it's time to surrender and when it's time to act? Any of you that want to kind of touch on that first, that would be great. Well, I'll jump in because I'm in that right now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> If I am making a choice, I'm about to act and I am not in the right way, let's say I'm angry or I'm afraid, etc. I'm pretty certain that the choice I'm about to make will be more about negative vision than actually going for what I really love. I'm just trying to make it easier on myself or I'm trying to resolve like make it go away as quickly as possible. And so those are the moments when I notice I'm about to do that, where I take a deep breath and I go, no, we're going to sit on our hands and we're just going to wait. And inevitably the next day comes and I'm like, oh, thank God I didn't do that. Right. And there's wisdom that arises. And then I feel like right action reveals itself. And it's very simple. Sometimes right action is to do nothing. Sometimes right action is to be very and brutally honest. Sometimes right action is just roll up those sleeves. You're going to sweat because there's a lot to do, especially as Calvin said, if the storm comes in, there's going to be a lot of cleanup afterwards, right? right? But storms, I love the theme of it because the storm, we need storms because we get habituated and we collect all this stuff around us. And a storm shakes that up. And what is left is actually just what's needed to move forward. Everything else has actually fallen away. So that's a little bit how I play with the recognition of the necessity of storm. And then the recognition of it's like a breath. Sometimes you consciously inhale, but then sometimes if you don't exhale, you can't inhale again. So you have to let go and you have to release and trust that another breath will come. And life is like that. It has a very rhythmical, breath-like quality to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I often use the analogy about the, you know, being like the tree in the storm. There is a sense of flexibility that's needed so that you don't break in in the challenge, you know, that you're able to move because there's going to be a lot of movement left and right, pulling and pushing. And that flexibility is really important. Um, And then, as you said, finding that balance between when to act. And I love that you said sometimes the right action is to do nothing, because sometimes people think doing nothing is not helpful, but it's absolutely important for us to have that surrender and let go and trust that in this moment, there is nothing to be done other than just be. And then, you know, right action, as you said, reveals itself. So that's awesome. Thank you. I, I'll jump in here. I, I like the analogy of, of a storm because to answer your question, I don't think uh, for me it is about finding balance. Okay. It is not. Um, finding comfort within uncertainty is, is making peace with the fact that you are out of balance. And the, the, the notion that um, balance is where things happen positively, I don't think is, is the correct one. Mm. In a realm of the 100, 90-10 is balanced. You know, 70-30 is balanced. 50-50 is balanced. But very often when we hear balance, we... My assumption is that people mean 50-50 or 55 to 45, something close to that. The truth of the matter is it is a shifting entity. Um, And just like a storm, you are going to be constantly out of balance, both physically but also mentally. Um, So finding peace within that, I think, has not got to do much, hasn't got much to do with finding balance as much as it as it as part of me as it's got to do with with finding um the ability to be at peace with not being in full control the way that you would like to be mm-hmm. um because um here's the paradox it takes a lot of control to let go of control so you know that once you're walking towards that, you're getting you're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd rather be walking towards that. My my comfort with the the loss of the loss of control. 
and then I can I can walk myself back onto you know the place where I feel I'm in control because it's all right. Mm. Mm. In that, um, in, let's say, imbalance, do you feel that there is a dance between action and surrender? I mean, there's a constant dance. I don't know whether um, action and surrender, because the truth of the matter is from time to time, for me, they are the, they are the same. Mm -hmm. And often we equate surrender with doing nothing, uh, which that's not what it means to me. Mm. Sometimes actually surrender means, you know, excuse my language, cutting the crap out and fighting the procrastination and getting on with what you're supposed to be getting on with. Um, that could very much be surrendering as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, but I love the idea of, of non-action being an action. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a dance. I, I don't know if it's a dance between action and surrender because to me they, they are not they are not on the on the opposite spectrum, so to speak. They they can be very much the same. But yes, it is definitely a dance mm. that one has got to appreciate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. Thanks. A lot to mull over there, Calvin. <laughs> I like the idea of paradoxes because language is a very useful tool it um it helps us to point at things and identify them for the purposes of understanding and it in itself can also be a limitation simultaneously i like to see these paradoxes as opposite poles of the same phenomena, right? They are connected. They're two sides of the same coin. And what Raf is saying there makes a lot of sense to me, where sometimes non-action actually is action. Sometimes, you know, um, being in balance means being out of balance. When, when, I was, uh, when I used to fly planes, I remember once there's, a, there's this thing called crabbing, right? And crabbing, you think of an airplane as this thing that must be perfectly balanced all the time. Actually, it must be perfectly balanced all the time in order to achieve a sustained flight, okay? But if the wind is coming from that direction, and you, you want to go in a straight line, you need to point the plane a bit more into the wind, right? So technically speaking, the plane isn't going straight anymore. The plane's actually, as in Raph's analogy, it's 70-30. But it's in balance. The result is balance because the outcome you're seeking is to get to this particular destination and in order to arrive there you've got to skew the plane in all kinds of funny angles you know you can turn it to the right you can have one aileron up you can have the tail point another way and if you were to take a picture of it it would absolutely look wacky but you're dealing with the prevailing winds or you're dealing with the, the currents that you're facing or dealing with a challenge that you might have, be having at the time. And then you have to do some sort of corrective action to get yourself in balance, whether that's 50, 50, 70, 30, you know, 25, 75, but you do stay in the air and you do stay afloat and you do get to where you want to get to. Uh, the other thing, which is uh, I'd like to extend on as well. Um, so there is this, when Raph at the beginning talked about you know, get over yourself. That is like, I'm glad you said it at the beginning because <laughs> I'm just going to keep referring to it. <laughs> this idea of selflessness is a powerful one because when we are, I mean, Lao has this, uh, I love to quote him because his, his, his uh, expressions are so famous, but so powerful, so simple. When he says, can you remain unmoving until the right action arises all by itself. Can you remain unmoving until the right action arises all by itself? Why I love that is because very often our idea of self, who we are, who we think we are, this illusion of control, we want to take a certain action. But if we were getting over ourselves for a while, and we sat in a space of selflessness, then we might allow an action to arise on its own. And then suddenly we, we realize the action is correct. The funny thing is we might turn around in real life and think that we own the action or that action originated from our own desires. And how look how clever I am. If I didn't do that, 
then wow, wouldn't have ended up here, you know. But maybe that action arose out of your own inaction. Maybe that action arose out of your own surrender. So that's the only point I wanted to to add to that. But uh, yeah, I I think it's wonderful. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, starting with the end in mind has its perks. (laughs) Okay, so I have... When you think, I mean, I'm loving everything that you're coming up with, but I want to, I want to get as practical as possible. So someone comes into room and says, I'm going through a very challenging time. What are, what are, what is the absolute first step that you might give someone to do, whether it's a practice, you know, things that you might do for yourself, because everything that we're saying makes sense, certainly to me in, in a broad way where we can pull from it. But if we bring it into a very practical not necessarily step by step, but what would be one thing that someone could start with when they're in a very challenging moment? It could be even the challenging times that we're finding ourselves in now. What's step one? I'll jump in again. <laughs> I think step one is to understand the deep impact that we have as individuals. You describe the scenario of someone coming into the room, so there's a physical presencing. Uh, I think this also can be transmitted in this way, but I think it's much stronger in person. And so the first thing, if I were to hear something like that is what I always do is I regard the person as powerful. Like there's a part of me that is, you've got this. I know it's really hard, but you've got this, that limbically in the nonverbal language, that impact, that resonance goes into their field and allows for some kind of, it's like a a repatterning because maybe in that moment they feel like they don't have it or they've forgotten that they are powerful, that they can create a result that they may not even know what the result is yet, but they have that ability. So that would be the first thing. And then the second thing um, is once someone's shared their story, I always love to ask, I get all of that. What would you love? Because I think that there's a really important, uh, almost like a fecund moment we're in a person's psyche, like we're going over and over and over and over and over the challenge. But why is it there? There's something that wants to be birthed of it. Yeah. And if we can name that, and it's even like a, a shift of like how we use our brain, how that whole neural system starts to function when we shift from problem oriented to solution oriented, creative orientation. Uh, not that the challenge will go away right away. Not that the, all the hard feelings will go away right away. Being human is super messy. But we don't need to be perfect and we don't need to be unmessy in order to create the thing that we would love to have in our life. And if we can't define what we would love, that's another challenge. So I would sit with a person and just be in that invitational space with them and and just say, in the realm of all possibilities, don't worry about the how right now, just whatever's possible. Mm. What is it that would light up your heart? What is it that your, your whole being goes, yes, and start there. I love that. I think leaning into what's possible is where we're going to, you know, really open up to those opportunities that, you know, within the challenge. And one thing that I think is really interesting and important, it's a lot of what I do in my work as well, is just pointing people towards their inner power. We all have that. And sometimes, as you, you've just said, they're in a state where they're not even able to acknowledge or notice or remember what's cap- what they're capable of. So I think driving them back into that inward power is so powerful. Um, and it's definitely something that I use a lot in my work too. So that's awesome. Yes. Great first steps. Over to you, Ralph. Let's come back over to you. First steps. After the hagen does. <laughs> <laughs> a beer and a spliff. Uh, no. I, I tell you what, um, to, 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 to um, answer the question directly, the question was in relation to someone comes to me and uh, comes to you and their life and, and their world has been turned upside down. So this is what I normally say and this is what I would say. Tell me about it, but bear in mind that when you're finished telling me about it, I'm going to ask you this. What is the opportunity in it? Go for it. And then I'll sit and I'll listen. Honestly and genuinely, Mm. I will listen. But I've already prefaced it. My first question will be, once you've said everything that you have got to say and that you can that you 
give me the honor of sharing with me, I will be asking you that one question. So the way it works is that by the time someone is starting to tell you something, they're already starting to think of the answer. So to come back to Calvin's point early on about language, the language starts to change a bit because the storytelling starts to change, the angle starts to change. So it is not just a passive listening. It is very much an active listening where you've already implied a few things that if you've implied them strongly enough, you don't even need to say them. That's personally what I try and what I work on providing my you know, students and people who come to me for a bit of guidance. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. Calvin. Yeah. Um, I'm just digesting some of this stuff I'm hearing, actually. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One of them is certainly about contextualizing your challenge, your current challenge, in terms of uh, what opportunities you might foresee. But as I mentioned at the beginning, there's a lot of work around attitude. So I see this very much as an opportunity to cultivate certain attitudes, which you can take with you into your new reality. You know, um, this idea of, uh, of infinite possibilities that you mentioned, you and Saida mentioned it, it's all these infinite possibilities. What is your, what is your idea of infinite possibility? I like that a lot too. And, you know, I'm listening to both. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about my own situation and thinking, yeah, there's so many possibilities here. Um, you know, when, until uh, I think his name was Christophe Lemaitre, I think he's a French sprinter. I think he was the first white sprinter to run sub 10. And after that, it changed the game. You know, it's like the first person to run the, the mile. Once, once a paradigm shift is, is realized or there's a barrier broken, other people are suddenly aware of this new potential within them. Mm. So I like that con concept of questioning infinite possibilities. But I would personally say, um, as a person who practices mindfulness and, and helps people to embed it, is that, Yes, we have all of these stories we're telling ourselves. There is always a narrator and there's always a, a way of recon, uh, recontextualizing or reframing a story. How can we reframe our story when we're using or bringing certain attitudes to its appraisal? In a crisis, we need patience. In a crisis, like you say, we need trust. In a crisis, we need to be able to let go. Um, but especially if we want to let go, we need to be able to accept. So those are four things I think are really powerful. And I would say we'd start there. Cultivate those questions in yourself and how can we appraise our, our response to the existing challenge? How, patient, how much patience can we bring to this? Not just patience in, you know, can I wait it out? But patience in the sense of how can I wait it out and be okay with waiting it out? <laughs> Which is a different thing completely. You know, a lot of guys in prison, they can stay in prison for 27 years, 30 years because they're there. But how can they how can they accept their current reality? And that's a powerful opening that allows people to then consider their opportunities thereafter, the infinite possibilities that we heard earlier. Great. I love this. And I'm, I'm just going to bring a question that is percolating around all this yumminess that you are all sharing. Um, and that is when you have someone that comes into a situation where they feel they're the victim. Um, and I, the reason I say this is because I, I, everything that you're saying completely makes sense to me. And I understand, you know, the, I want to say the marriage across a lot of it, and it's all really good. But we know there are a lot of people out there who feel that they're victim to their circumstance, that this, the circumstances they find themselves in, yes, are out of their control, but it's the victim mindset that I'm referring to, that this is happening to me. How do we switch that around, allowing people to reframe that 
in order to then start seeking opportunity because it's very difficult when you're in victim mode, this is happening to me, to feel like you have the power to change the situation. How do we approach that victim mindset and get people to shift out of that? Well, you know, I address this a lot around sexuality and sexual trauma because there's so much of it there, but it's also everywhere in life. So one thing I just want to say, bring some clarity to is around the language and the words again. Mm -hmm. So every human being, I don't care where they're from, who they're born to, age, size, doesn't matter. We will at some point, at least once in our life, have a victimization experience. Something's going to happen to us that we have no control over that is awful and just very challenging. And we're like, wow, like we could be rear-ended out of the blue. We had no idea. And then there we are, okay? Being a victim, however, to me is always a choice because it's an identity. So there's a difference between a victimization experience Mm -hmm. and adopting an identity of being a victim. The people who seem to thrive even in the most difficult situations, I've been in cultures where people literally have, you know, they live in nothing, they have nothing. And they have come to me and said, my pain is for me to move through. Not, it's not your responsibility. Like those people I bow to because the level of sovereignty, the level of self-respect that they have, despite all the stuff that's happening. And they have way more victimization experiences than I'd say I would have experienced already in my life. That blew my mind away. And I realized we are living in a culture that rewards people who identify with being victim. So it's going to be quite a challenge to then look at that and say, this is actually an identity choice and then choose something different. So it's not easy. It's wobbly. Um, But part of what Raf was saying, being in balance is actually, it's a dynamic experience. It's never static. It's dynamic. Mm -hmm. So, Every moment we're living in, we have the opportunity to either look at it from this victim place of, I I can't do anything about it. I have no power. Poor me, which is fine because that's what a lot of us do. So we have to also address that that exists and not make it wrong. And there is a choice. We can take that tiny little millimeter sidestep and go, however... I choose to stand here in my power as a human being and look at the situation and see what can I actually do now? And sometimes the only thing we can do is give ourselves squeezes so that we regulate, down-regulate the nervous system that's on high alert and freaking out. Mm. Maybe that's the only thing that we have in our power in that moment, but that is incredibly powerful because then the trauma won't settle in the tissue. So I just wanted to bring out that definition, see what the guys have to say about it. But um, I'm loving this conversation. Me too. Yes, guys, what do you have to say about it? You want to jump in, Raph? Sure, sure, I will. Um, thank you very much for that, Sada. I was um, giving me food for thought. Um, mm. Sim, can you rephrase uh, or can you repeat the question the way you phrased it at first? Um, Something along the lines of how do we help people shift or reframe that victim mindset so they can move into the opportunity? Yeah. So my first answer to that is you don't. Because it's a choice and... I believe in people having um, the power to choose whatever they want for themselves, however they want it for themselves, without anyone, myself included, having to somehow push upon them that a growth mindset is going to be the way and that um, choosing good over bad and all those things, as positive as they are, is is the only way. So my answer to this is you don't. I don't. 
But what I do is I stand and I speak and I breathe a way that most people who are constantly or feel comfortable, I should say, in the victim mindset, don't feel very comfortable around me. So that's useful on two fronts. One is that I don't really get bothered with it. And two, when people come around me, it's because they know for themselves that they want help with a change. Because I'm not personally going to give as a friend, as your husband, as you know, as a father, as a, as a teacher, I, I don't give people around me this, this option. I will listen to you for five minutes without judgment whatsoever. I will nod and say yes. And in my eyes, you will read that I believe strongly that we are the sum of the stories we tell. And if your story is not too boring, I'll listen to it. If it feels to me like you've told that same story 1,000 times, you will lose me within the first minute and I will make it clear. And I will ask you the same question. What are you gaining from that? What's the opportunity in there? You're there with me talking to me about this because you sense that I can hide either give you a give you a hug to make you feel better for the moment, which is totally fine. Everything does not have to change. And I, I repeat myself, one does not have to change if you don't want to change. However, if you do want to change, then start asking better questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, answers. Answers do change. We can't get attached to them. But refining and the refinement of the questions we ask of ourselves, of others, of life, I think in, in that in that lies, you know, the betterment of, of our situations. Whatever that our situations uh, become on a day to day basis. So yeah, my answer is you don't. You just invite people. You, you, you show the tools without forcing them onto others. Yeah, because I, I don't think you can force it onto others. I do think that you, as you say, show the tools or can offer guidance in whatever way. Um, and I think that asking quality questions is is a beautiful approach because as, as um, Calvin said earlier, I think about the stories that we tell ourselves and the impact Mm, let me let me correct you right now. It's not about asking quality questions. It's about asking rubbish questions and working on making them better. So refining. It's it's in the refinement. It's not in it's the, the work here is not the getting it right. No. The work is in the working it out. Said that yes. Mm, beautiful. Lovely. Do you want to jump in, Calvin, or and or Saida? You can come back in too. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, like loving it, loving this conversation totally. Um, I wish I, I wish I took notes. <laughs> so, I mean, if it, if anyone comes to me, as you know, I work in I work in the story world, and I help people to to tell their own story. A lot of people want to define their story as well. That's not uncommon. And then in that process, what we end up finding is what story are you actually telling yourself now? So there is a case for people to have the opportunity to see if they are playing the role of a victim in the first place, because not everybody is aware. And the thing about that is that we can't always arrive at that ourselves. No man is an island. No man stands alone. And so on a practical level, if you are facing a, a situation of victimhood and are not aware of it, uh, and, and you're just unconsciously just perpetuating this cycle, something will hit you again and again and again, and these opportunities will arise again and again and again for these questions to be asked. And then one of two things I think will happen, you will choose yourself to seek the help to help you reframe that narrative, or you will do a lot of that work yourself with deep soul searching. More than likely, you will have either a friend or a professional who will help you to reframe the narrative and see where you're taking the position 
of the victim in the first place. So I had a friend, Brian, and he, you know, I actually remember going through about five years ago, some big life changes, family breakdown, everything else was terrible. And I thought I'd lost everything in my life that mattered. And um, I was in Farnborough, I was at the airport and I was with my friend, Brian, and I spent an awful lot of time in pubs at that time as well, which uh, compounded matters. <laughs> and I actually remember telling Brian something. And and Brian kind of had Raft's approach a little bit, which was, you know, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, right. And then after I vomited everything out, <laughs> in reality, when you vomit everything out, there's nothing left, isn't there? And then you just start heaving, nothing comes out. But I was still vomiting. I was like indefinite vomiting, yeah? <laughs> so there's infinite possibilities came indefinite vomiting possibilities. And then Brian just went, Calvin, you know you're sounding like a victim here. And as soon as he said that, yeah, it was a major turning point for me. Because I understand the language, I couldn't apply it to myself. So if I didn't have the mirror, if I didn't have a constructive person in my immediate vicinity to reflect that back to me, I would have perpetuated that cycle indefinitely. So you need to have people around you who can highlight that for you because more than likely you're unaware. If you are aware and you're choosing to continue, then there's some sort of payoff that you're getting from taking the position of victim. And then as everybody else has already said, you're choosing that position. That's your choice. That's totally fine. But if you are unaware of what position you're taking or you have an inkling that, you know, something's not right here, then it's about who is that mirror for you. Uh, and it's either going to be a professional person or it's either going to be some friends who are constructive and who are not going to keep you fixed in that position, which is opposite to growth mindset, which is what, what Ralph said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love that. A lot, a lot of good stuff in there. Um, sometimes we need that catalyst um, in order to, or, or just some trigger to get us moving. It's not always conscious. We're not always aware. It doesn't always come in a very direct and, um, you know, conversation necessarily, non-verbal, but there are lots of triggers and catalysts out there that I think, as you said, using the word mirror or reflection is very often what happens when people are actually you know speaking and letting their things out to you they're in in some way speaking to themselves you know I know as a coach when I'm working with clients a lot of the things that I say I'm like oh I needed to hear that you know in reflection or in hindsight I go oh yeah that was something I really needed to to reflect on for myself so very often having those conversations whether it's a conscious choice to help someone through something or not is is quite important to I think as you said acknowledge sometimes we just need that that one drop of something that just gets us to shift, move slightly, change our physiology, change our breathing, even just move our eyes somewhere else. Um, that then can reflect the inner inward story, the narrator and all the other things that of course come up. Yes. Yeah, so that's actually what, what I wanted to just add just very, very briefly is that inevitably, if you're alive and you're a human being, you've got a thinking mind and your thinking mind will always be telling you a story. Fundamentally, that's just the reality. So as long as you have a thinking mind, there will be a story there being told. And that story then is the choice that you have to make, what story you want to tell yourself. And this is the, the reinforcement of the point that's worth, worth highlighting here, that there's always a narrator narrating that story as long as you have a thinking mind. Now, of course, another realm of conversation says that you can bypass the thinking mind and then you, don't, you, can, you can completely go into the realm of non-story, which is, which is outside the discussion. But, but as long as we are a normal life, living in society as normal people, then there will be a story being told and we just have to choose. Mm. Saida, would you like to add anything else to that? I know we've thrown quite a lot out. Oh, I, I love it. I think um, it takes what I wanted to say just brings us right back to when we first started the whole conversation. And I think that one of the amazing qualities of human beings is curiosity. And I think when we are facing challenges, how, you know, your initial question, like what, where, how do we discover the opportunity in a challenge? 
Um, it's about being curious, but we need to exercise curiosity. A lot of us have apathy. We, we sort of have defined our world and there it is. And then we stop being curious about it. And I think maybe as we age, that might get more solid. So I think curiosity is the key to better relationships, to uh, better dynamics out in the world, to even facing, you know, little challenges and big challenges. I just am always encouraging people get more curious, just lean in, have a sniff. Don't worry if there's no answer, but just relate to that, which has arisen to meet you in your life. And that then creates life as an adventure versus as life as this horrible journey. Um, So I think that that's, and curiosity has led us to being here in this day and time. I mean, it's amazing that our our ancestors even made it this far. (laughs) And I always love to say our ancestors, you know, were here because they dared. So we are the descendants of those who dared and you can't dare if you're not curious. And we all have that. So even if we don't feel daring, even if we don't feel curious, it is innately within us. So we can activate it uh, by becoming aware that it is another possibility of how we choose to navigate our days. Mm. I love it. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. So what I'm going to do now really uh, is to jump into just a couple questions that my community posed. Obviously, you know that I put this out there prior to us coming together today, just in case anyone had any questions. I think we've pretty much touched on a lot of stuff that would have fed the answers to these already, but I'm just going to ask them and maybe you can just give me the short answers to this these questions. So the first one is, okay, so you recognize or you have an inkling of an opportunity, then what? Sometimes the challenge feels too hard to overcome, even when you can see the opportunity. What would I need to do when the opportunity arises? How do I, it's along the lines of how do I grab the opportunity when the challenge feels too hard? I don't mind who wants to jump on that first. You want to continue, Saida, while you're still here? Sure. Yeah. As I said earlier, when there's this dimension where we're here and there's this thing here and there's the tension that arises, uh, just becoming familiar with tension. Let's just bring it down to something simple like sexual tension. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't have to always act on sexual tension. What we can do instead is learn to actually enjoy the feeling of that tension in our body, the arousal feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and then that shifts into say, okay, now let's look at vocationally, you have tension. Now, like, can we enjoy vocational arousal, the tension that arises through wanting to express ourselves or wanting to create something, but having no idea how and letting ourselves marinate in it a little bit and allowing that to inform us. Um, if we're not feeling like we think the challenge is so big, we see the opportunity, but it's so far away, then maybe we need to marinate a little bit more and just be in direct relationship with possibility because the weight of passivity, the weight of our past and how we've done everything, it's very heavy. But at every moment is the past and the possible and they're always conjoined. So I think sitting with that tension and, and loving whether it's sexual tension or vocation, vocational arousal tension, like any of these things, mm-hmm. uh, being a yes, you hear of artists who their whole life, they do nothing with it. And suddenly they're 50 and they get recognized and they just boom, you know, their voices is, is released into the world. So you just, there is no right timing. Mm-hmm. There is no supposed to do it by this date. There's no end date. There's just a calling And we get to choose. In fact, you don't have a choice. I call it the choiceless choice because whether you choose it or not, you keep being called to it. And so even if you avoid it and run around and go the long way and try to run away as far away from it, you still end up, it's still there with you because it's your essence and it's, it knows that which wants to be birthed of your nature. Mm -hmm. So learn to sit with that tension and uh, have it be an enlivenment experience it can be uncomfortable, but if we breathe and we move and we stretch and we just get into our physical form more and allow the body to like process that tension through movement, it's actually what creates some degree of vitality as well. We need a little bit of that, you know, to tone ourselves. We need to play with tension a little bit. So 
Thank you. I love that. Love, love, love it. Right, jumping in, Raf, with your answer to that question. Um, so I'm listening to the uh, to to everyone out there just type, you know, tapping and making noise for 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 the NHS. Um, can you can you possibly um, um, again repeat the the end of that question from your from your um, from your student or whoever sent it to you? So it, it was pretty much, it pretty much says, so I, you know, I recognize an opportunity, then what? Sometimes the challenge seems too hard to overcome. So the mm. opportunity is seen, I can sense there's an opportunity, but then, you know, what now? Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's, a, I think it's a very good question. I mean, it like, it, it lacks context, but it's a very good question nonetheless. I, I like that very much. It's real. So um, one thing that comes to mind for me is this, um, and it's the concept of, of reverse engineering, where um, you do two things to start with. One is you list um, for yourself what's required uh, from this task in terms of what you already have. What do you already have in terms of skills, in terms of material, in terms of connections, in terms of people? And that's number one. Number two is what do you need to develop? What do you need to do? What do you need to learn? Uh, who do you need to speak to? What actions do you need to take? And between these, these two, um, the first one being recognizing what you already have. Mm. And that's a very, very big one. And I'll tell you why, because I do think that most of us, uh, when faced with a, a, a task, especially something that means a lot to us and there's an, an emotional comp component to it, we tend to see it very, as very, very far away from us where when you start breaking things down, you realize that actually you're halfway there if only you were to break it down first and foremost and say, okay, what do I need for this? Oh, it's just so happened that I already have that, this, and that. So what's like in now it's this piece and this part. So that's what I would suggest that person or anyone else for that matter do when faced with, oh, there's an opportunity right now is to recognize what you already have and what you need to cultivate. Mm -hmm. But to be honest with you, it comes back down to that very first point I made. It's a case of either give yourself a break as in recognize what's already there and I say that because you know negative bias is a big 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 one in, in for most of us human beings and we tend to be so tough on ourselves um I do not know anything I am not capable I haven't achieved anything I do not have the skills blah 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 um being kind or kinder to yourself and and as Calvin I think rightly saying um speak to someone someone who's well um, intentioned towards you, either professional or 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 close by, um, family and friends, to help you recognize what you already have, both within yourself, but also around you. And then the second is get over yourself. There's work to be done. There are skills to be mastered. Um, there's knowledge to be gained. Mm -hmm. That again. And that's all tying in with the curiosity that Saida mentioned, coming back to under the attitude and, and how you approach things. Yeah, I love it. Mm. Absolutely. Calvin, do you want to answer that question? If you have anything to add? Yeah. So I'm just going to make one assumption here. And that assumption is that the obstacle the person is facing what's between them and their opportunity is themselves, I will assume, and not something real world and practical, like, you know, there is actually a million miles between them physically and this opportunity. So in this, in this journey, I think it's worth, and I spend a lot of time talking about this in my workshops, understanding why some of these actions are taken, some of the practical actions, why they're taken. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest an action or two which needs, which needs to have a foundational explanation. So when we are faced with something that seems or is apparently insurmountable, 
due to their own voice in our head, then we are probably in a fear-based state. We are probably afraid for whatever that reason might be. The fear is there, right? And this response in the body is you're basically being hijacked, aren't you? There's a, the noise is just too loud in the head. Um, people call it different things. Uh, the, the Steve Peters calls it exercising the chimp where we have this chimpanzee inside. I like to call it the elephant in the room. <laughs> you know, The elephant in the room is this wild, agitated beast, and we don't really pay any attention to it, but it's there. And, and we need to calm that down first. That's the first thing. So we need to be in that calm space, which is why I advocate meditating. So that's the first thing. So meditation will be a very good practice to help calm down the overactive thinking mind, which probably is now compounded by the fear-based response, which has hijacked the human rational mind. The second thing, which is very closely linked, I think, to Raf's point, which is the, the breakdown of the planning state, is helping the logical mind to see that there is a step-by-step process to get there. So one of the things, I read a fascinating book by um, Bear Grylls. Now, I've, at first, when I first watched his, his uh, documentaries, and I f- there was all this stuff floating around in the press about Bear Grylls, and I was just like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to read his book. And this guy said, read it. So I read his book. Anyway, this guy did some amazing things. One of the things he did was he climbed Everest, right? All right, I know a million people climbed Everest, amazing. But what he said was, the thing that kills people when they climb Everest, is they're always looking at the top. They're always looking at the peak of Everest. He said, what you actually need to be looking at is base camp one. When you get to base camp one, then you look at base camp two. And on and on you go. And eventually you find yourself at Everest, right? So the point is, I think in Ruff's plan, is like you start at the end, you break down the plan into logical steps, and you look at the, the first step only. You look at the first step only. But that is not going to happen if you've got the elephant in the room who wants to, you know, rampage in the barn. So I advocate two things. I personally, I'm an advocate of a nice, calm state of mind where we are not hijacked by our fight or flight response, which meditation is one of the quick hacks uh, that, that can do that. When I say a quick hack, it takes practice to cultivate, but the body responds pretty quickly. I mean, if we went into nice, deep, calm breaths right now, our physiological state would change immediately. So those are the two things I would say. So that to understand that there is a fear-based response that's happening in us when we are faced with a challenge that appears insurmountable more often than not. And then, of course, we need to break that down into rational, logical steps, which we take one by one. I call that base camp one. Lovely. Thank That's you. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I just have to breathe all this wonderful stuff in. I'm just so, so, so grateful. Um, I'm going to really enjoy going back over this recording and, um, you know, pulling out all the salient points and the summaries for, for my audience because this has got so much stuff and I, we could chat for hours and go on and on. I know we've scratched the surface, but we've thrown a lot of different, I think, um, you know, nuggets for people to pull from and really look at how they can find that opportunity, grab that opportunity and, and, you know, do things with it. But more importantly, as we've all said, just go inward and stay, take the time you need for yourself without the judgment, without all of the external stuff. I mean, I'm very much, as you all know, a big advocate of that inward looking and outward expression, whatever that may be. So that, you know, you go through the challenge, you go through the storm, you go through all of that, but it, it is a part of life. It's a, it's a rite of passage. Obstacles and all the things that we go through that are hard, it is a rite of passage. And I think when we start to perceive it more as such, um, one of the things that I spoke about in one of my recent podcasts was that it's this perception of the wall. You know, there's this obstacle in my way, but when we see the obstacle as part of the process, 
then it no longer is something that we need to break through. It is just part of the process. It is just part of the journey. Um, and with all of that being said, I have to say thank you to all of you from the bottom, top, middle, every part of my heart and body and being for being present with me today, for sharing your expertise, your wisdom, your love, having my brother on, my husband on, my BFF on, and us coming together in this way is so, 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 so wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I will put all of your details for my guests to follow up. If you want to share anything later on, I'll get some links. And I won't go through the where they can find you all because I've been telling them the last few weeks where they can, but I'll put all of those details below. But again, thank you for your love, your presence, your compassion, your wisdom, your expertise, and just being the best people in my life. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe. From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you are.